I hope you can put off working on your to-do lists for the next week, <laughs> for the next half an hour or so. Because if you're like me, there is a to-do list and it's getting longer and longer. I was thinking about, for inspiration, about what to speak about the week before Christmas and the best I could come up with this title, Are You Still Hungry? It's going to be a theme for my Christmas this year, as it is every year. Um, I could show you a picture of myself looking like a beached whale on Christmas Day. Generally in our family, we put off lunch when my family lives in Sydney and my mum cooks a, a massive meal and we have uh, turkey, ham, pork, um, all your major you know, food groups there and, and copious amounts of baked vegetables and then... And I get myself into a state where I can't move. Does anyone, can anyone relate to this? Just eating so much that you can't move. But then the call comes from the kitchen. Does anyone want some pudding or dessert? And it's like, like a phoenix, I rise. And it's like I get this superhuman, I don't know, spiritual gift of being able to fit more food into my belly. And then I make myself feel even sick, even more sick. I hope that your Christmas tradition isn't like that. But I do want to talk a little bit about hunger um, at Christmas time. So that's kind of the theme. And, but before I talk more about what this hunger might look like, I want to read from the Scriptures, Matthew chapter 2, one of the quintessential passages following the birth of Jesus. Let's read together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and uh, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what was the prophet this is what the prophet has written, the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's an amazing passage. There's so much in it. And if you've been around church for a while, like myself, you've probably heard a lot of sermons on this passage. You've probably heard sermons on, you know, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh and just pulling apart different pieces of the story. But I want to kind of just talk about some of the tension in the Christmas story. The tension in the Christmas story is that we all hunger 
for Christmas experiences, like quintessential ultimate Christmas experiences where there's family and there's happiness and there's friendship and there's joy to the world and peace to all men. But we hunger for Christmas experiences, but the way we hunger and pursue our Christmas experiences is Christmas experiences, it tends to undermine the very purpose of Christmas. So like Christmas is the season of consumerism. But if ever there was a season that's the opposite of consumerism, it's Christmas. Um, Christmas is a, meant to be about peace, but the roads of Adelaide this week would tell you that there's not much peace on the roads of Adelaide. In fact, people are flipping out. If you go to the cash register at Kmart, you don't experience a lot of joy. Um, There's this list that's been doing the rounds on social media, a Christmas to-do list, and I quite like it. Has anyone seen uh, such kind of list? It's quite inspirational, isn't it? And you get inspired by it and you're like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do this Christmas. But you don't do it. Because you have to still buy the presents. And you still have to wrap the gifts and send gifts and shop for food and... See the lights or tick off those experiences, but wouldn't it be great if Christmas was all about being present? Wrapping someone in a hug, sending peace, donating food, and being the light. There's some amazing movies that have um, prophetically spoken about the Christmas experience into our culture. The first amazing movie is Home Alone. Christmas movies are the best movies. I love Christmas movies. Kevin McAllister basically tells his family, I wish I didn't have a family. I wish you guys weren't my parents anymore. I wish I didn't have siblings. And the family's in such a hurry to get to Paris for their family holiday that they basically treat each other like dirt. Isn't it good that you don't do that when you're stressed? You don't treat your loved ones like dirt. You always treat them with dignity and love. And you remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. And um, eventually, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but he's reunited with his family and the true meaning of Christmas comes out in the end. And then another great Christmas movie, uh, Die Hard. Um, My personal favourite. And uh, there's, you know, uh, John McLean's wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife, Holly, is having a glamorous Christmas party and she's having a successful career, but their relationship has come apart. Um, And do you know what it took to bring them together? A terrorist incident where they nearly all died. Um, So, yeah... That's how, when I think about Christmas movies, that's what I think about. In fact, it isn't Christmas until my brother and I have sat down and watched Die Hard together. But I think we all know that just the genre of this season of Christmas, it doesn't draw out the Christmas values that are represented in that Matthew 2 story. I want to suggest that in this story that we've read, there's three groups that have different attitudes to Jesus. The hungry, the hateful, and the happy. And I want to just unpack who these three groups might be from the passage. The hungry, the hateful, and the happy. I'll give you a hint. The hungry ones are the ones that we should want to be like. Hunger in the Bible is a good thing. It's not something to be mocked. In fact, uh, time and time again in the Scriptures, people that are hungry uh, seem to be 
almost virtuous. Not lacking something, but containing something very essential. Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, all of us are hungry for something, but a godly man or a woman will be hungry for a particular kind of thing. Psalm 63, You God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. This is a picture of a person hungry for something that's real, hungry that's something for something that's transcendent, hungry for God to intervene in the here and now, almost like in a physical sense. And then Jesus himself in John 6.35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So the The hungry in this story are the Magi, traditionally known as the wise men. Um, My parents, the next slide, my parents have this put up on there. But my my parents are kind of the Christians that have to let all their neighbours know that they're Christian. So all of their Christian paraphernalia over their kind of windows and out the front of their house, it's always kind of Jesus-y. And I'm like, oh, can we just go for the normal Santa stuff, mum and dad? And they're like, nah. And, and, and they've got a sign. They imported it from America. And um, they've got this sign out the front of their house. I saw it last week when I was visiting my family. Wise men still seek him. So who are the wise men? Who are these mysterious magi that we should respect and honour? Well, these are the hungry people. Why do we know that they're hungry? Because they are seeking out Jesus. They are seeking out Jesus. They are seeking out this newborn king of the Jews. They are hungry to pursue more evidence for what they have seen in the stars. And so who are these wise people we should emulate? Well, they are pagan astrologers from the royal court of the king of Persia. And the king of Persia, um, on a number of occasions, whether it be in scriptures or also in antiquity, was often known as the king of kings. And so for them to serve their king of kings, that they would be seen by the people of God as being not just from another race, not just from another people group, but they are kind of the opposite of what it means to be God's people. Not only are they the opposite of what it means to be God's people, but they consult the stars and they engage in astrology and some would say even divination and all sorts of other spiritual mumbo-jumbo. And so for a good religious person, they would see these magi as being people worthy of suspicion. Who are these crazy astrologers? I mean, have you ever being sick and up in the middle of the night and you accidentally leave the, the TV on and you see people reading the star signs or you see people consulting. And it's just like, it's, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. Like these guys, they used to read the stars and look for signs in the universe to kind of give counsel to their king. They were not looking for Jesus. They were looking for stars. But they were so blown away by what they saw in the natural creation that they were compelled to find out more. In the book of Daniel, 
in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, the, the, the pagan, selfish, wise people are, are, were known as magi. And they're the ones that kind of didn't give the king good counsel in regards to interpretation of dreams. And so a good Jewish man or woman would read this and say, yeah, magi, oh, we remember them. They're less than us. They don't have the same insight into God. And actually, right throughout the Bible, so, so their association with magi would have been negative. Isn't it interesting that God chose astrology, something that's forbidden in the Old Testament, to reveal himself to pagans on a one-off occasion? Because God wanted to reveal himself where people were looking with eager hearts, seeking out more, seeking out answers, seeking out truth, seeking out something other than. And God spoke to those magi and they were compelled to follow and they said, we need to worship this king. It's amazing. Do you know what I believe as a Christian? We often think that God is only speaking in the church. Or we only think that God speaks to people just like you and me. But do you know what I know from the Bible is God can speak to any people around the world that are seeking after Him. Just, um, it's very easy to be judgmental of people. But just in the last week, I was reflecting on a few of these people. Put the pictures up. Some modern day magi. <laughs> the first one is Chance the Rapper. He's one of the world's biggest rappers. And just this week, he's come out and said that he's taking a sabbatical from rapping because he wants to study the Bible. Has anyone heard that story? Well, look it up. I'm not making it up. <laughs> and I think, isn't that cool? And all of the pharisaical Christians out there will be like, oh, you know, he swears in, and, you know, he says this in his lyrics and he's pro this and he's pro that and he's pro drugs and he's pro crime. And, and it's like, mate, here's the guy saying, I don't want to just hear about God. I want to study the Scriptures for myself. And he's going to do a whole documentary about him studying the Bible. And I think, isn't that cool? That here is a man that is desiring truth. And I believe that God can reveal himself to a guy like Chance the Rapper. Just like hopefully, and just actually funny, I got... Sometimes Twitter's a dangerous thing, but, but he's been hanging out with Kanye West lately and Kanye's been saying that this guy, Chance, has re-energised his personal faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, oh man, what's going on? Because it's just, you don't know what's true and what's not true in the kind of whole Hollywood and world of, I mean, anyway. But this guy is seeking truth and I think, God, maybe, just like the Magi of old, maybe, God, you're going to reveal yourself to some people from the wrong side of the tracks, from a different worldview to us, and you're going to speak to them because they are eagerly searching. The next person is Walid Ali and probably Australia's most high-profile Muslim. And man, a lot of Christians... Oh, back, back guys. Um, Walid um, is Australia's most high-profile Muslim and he's quite, quite liberal and he's politics but you know I've listened to him in some podcasts and he has really studied the Bible and he debates religion with Christians and I think you know what he's a guy that I believe has a seeking heart 
He's a seeker and I think it's very easy to be suspicious of the other, whether they're from a different political affiliation or a different religious affiliation. But who would God speak to in our generation? Will He speak to people just like us that have grew up, some of us that have grown up in the church? Or might God be speaking outside the walls of the church? And our job as the church is to connect with people that are asking the right questions but might not have all of the information. Are you with me? Because these Magi didn't have all the information, but they had a seeking heart and they were compelled to find out more. And I believe as people want to find out more about Jesus, they'll be compelled to ask that next step. But the problem is sometimes they don't have proximity to people, men and women that know the Word of God and understand, have an intimate relationship with Jesus that can introduce them to Jesus. This is a woman, um, This the other woman up here is, her name, well, the other woman. Oh, okay. Um, Her name is Sarah Irving Stonebreaker, and I was reading an article by her recently. She's an academic at University of Western Sydney. She's got a PhD from Cambridge, and she became, she was an atheist. She'd grown up as an atheist, and guess how she she became a Christian? She was doing, while she was at Cambridge, she did a seminar at Oxford, and she was listening to some lectures by an atheist philosopher called Peter Singer, who, in my opinion, has some detestable ethical views. And as she was listening to this atheistic philosopher, something in her spirit didn't connect with what was being said. And it started her on an intellectual journey towards faith and then eventually reading C.S. Lewis and then becoming a born-again Christian. And so God was speaking through an atheist philosopher in Oxford to an atheist student because God is a God that wants to speak. And I think sometimes what he's looking for is a heart that is seeking truth, seeking after him. And I don't believe all of those people are people that just are like us. So in this story, who are we to respect? Where to respect? They are the ones that are hungry. I want to ask you this Christmas, are you not just hungry for turkey and pudding? Are you hungry for the real Jesus? Are you hungry not for the fake or the imitation, but are you hungry for the real Jesus? The next group is the hateful. Do you want to take a guess at who the hateful is? Who's the hateful in this story? It's not a trick question. Herod. What a petty man. Isn't it interesting that people that are hateful, they're not big and strong, they're actually petty. They're so insecure in their hatred that they have to rip down other people that they see as a threat to preserve their power. When you see a hateful person, you never think, oh wow, aren't they magnificent in their hatred? You think, aren't they pathetic in their hatred? Because they will do just about anything else to diminish the humanity of other people to maintain their power and status. Herod Herod was acting like the king of the Jews. In fact, the Jewish leaders at the time were pretty cosy with him and they they actually agreed with a lot of his policies. And so when the Magi came to Jerusalem, who did they consult? They didn't consult, but they actually went to Herod and they said, Herod, can you tell us about what's happening here? He was acting almost like the king of the Jews, but he was full of hate. And when he heard this, um, of this baby born, we read after, just in the verses after verse 12, that his 
once he realised that the Magi had turned their back on him and they, they hadn't returned with the information about where Jesus had been born, his reaction was genocide. In a whole region, we're going to wipe out the children under the age of two, the boys under the age of two. And I think, wow. It's very easy to look at someone like Herod and say, wow, he's like pure evil. He's like a, an ancient form of Hitler. Thank God I'm not like him. But do you know what? We do all sorts of things to preserve our life from perceived enemies. This picture that's up there is called The Scene of the Massacre of the Innocents by Leon Cognier, 1824. And it's one of the, the most powerful artworks about the Christmas story. You know when you see the beautiful Jesus in the manger with the animals and there's kind of no aspect of smell or, and there's like the glow around Jesus' head? For me, this sums up what Christmas is all about. God in the flesh entered into a world of hatred, chaos, where his mother had to flee to Egypt with his father to save his life. Isn't this an, an amazing thing that God has done for us in the Christmas story? This is the world he has entered into, a world of war, a world of hatred. Herod was meant to be like the king of the Jews but he was actually behaving like an enemy of God's people. He was behaving like the worst of the pagan kings of the Old Testament. Hungry. We've got the hateful. But the group that often gets missed out in this story is the happy. And by happy, I mean content. Like... For instance, let's go back to Christmas Day. When I've eaten my full, I'm happy. Sure, my body might be telling me, what have you done, you idiot? But I'm happy, I'm content. In this story, yes, there's a hateful man and yes, there's some other people that are really hungry, but there's some other people that are happy and I think we need to learn from their example not to do what they've done. In Matthew 2, 3 and 6, sorry that the screens are out of alignment. You can look it up on your own if you've got it there. When King Herod heard the news about the king being born, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. What does that mean? It means that once the Magi came and they talked about the star, the word had swept across the city. It was well known. There was rumours of a king being born. There was rumours of... Stars unusually being shown in the sky and dreams and visions. Everyone would have been talking about it. And then Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, those that had been studying the Bible all their lives. And he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they didn't scratch their heads and they didn't say, well, we don't know and, oh, you know, it's not the right time for the Messiah. They immediately knew what the answer was because they had studied in the book of Micah that actually the king wouldn't be born in Jerusalem, but he would be born in Bethlehem and he would shepherd God's people. Isn't that amazing? That these religious leaders... They had rose to a place of power 
under Herod's rule, that they were able to give him counsel, but they, they did not care enough about these rumours to actually go and investigate it for themselves. They had all of the evidence in the Scriptures. They had the evidence from these Magi and Herod sends the Magi to Jerusalem to investigate, but they are comfortable in Jerusalem. And scholars uh, say that actually that they had some aspect of political power in Jerusalem at the time and they were kind of, you know, in political terms, in bed with Herod. They were quite happy with the status quo. And I think that this is a dangerous thing. You see, it's very easy to demonise Herod for wanting to kill Jesus. But these religious leaders, they did not really even care for the Messiah. They, did, they were not craving a king because they were quite happy with the kingdom that they were experiencing right now. They were happy and they were content. But do you know what, what started as them being blasé and what started them as being kind of not interested, and so that's the Magi that seek out Jesus, not the religious leaders, not people like you and me that know the Bible. We are not the ones that are hungry for more. Sometimes it's people outside there that are more hungry than us. We need to learn from the Magi and not be like these religious leaders because do you know what happened 30 years after? Those people that were apathetic, this is what they became. Even though they were happy and content, the next picture. This is what they became. They became the ones that were yelling out, crucify Him. Why would they say crucify Him if they were so happy? Because they wanted to preserve what they had. They wanted to remain comfortable. Because the thing about Jesus is, He's not the King that you're expecting. He's the King that comes to us in a manger and He's the King that comes in vulnerability. And it was only the Magi that were able to fall on their knees and worship Him. We have to make sure this Christmas that we don't allow our happiness keep us from our hunger. We also have to make sure that our hatred, our, our, any desire to protect and preserve things in our life, that we don't put that in the place of being hungry for Jesus. The hateful are driven by fear insecurity and superiority. They want to preserve what they have. The happy, driven by complacency and superiority, they want to preserve what they have by building walls and keeping things safe. But both the hateful, Herod, and the happy, the religious teachers, they are kept from being hungry because of their self-sufficiency. You know what my message for us as a church is this Christmas? Let's reject self-sufficiency. Let's reject the idea that we're in control. Let's reject the idea that our job is to keep everyone happy and keep everything safe. The goal of Christmas is to approach Jesus, not just for what He can do for us, because in the Christmas story, He's a baby, and to bow down and worship Him for who He is as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'd ask you this Christmas, will you be hungry? Do you have a heart that seeks? Do you have a mind that is open to the Scriptures? You see, the Magi, they were hungry, but they had to be pointed in the right direction by the religious scribes. They needed the truth of the Scripture to illuminate and fill out the revelation that they saw in the stars.
a mind that's open to the scripture and a body that's surrendered in worship. So at Christmas time, what's the goal of Christmas? The goal of Christmas is to be hungry for Jesus. And when you find Him, not to ask Him for things and not to demand that He fit into your life, but to bow down and worship for He is the King that has come to you. Can I invite you to stand to your feet and close your eyes? And I just would like to invite, um, if the band can come up the front, I just want to spend some time in worship because if you're like me, just even today, you're on the go and you're in a hurry. But what we're going to do now collectively is we are going to worship Jesus. It's a weird thing because you think, well, the disciple, Jesus taught us to pray to the Father, not to himself. And, and the earliest Christians, they worshipped God the Father. But we also see throughout church history that Christians from the earliest days have also worshipped Jesus. And they saw no contradiction between worshipping Jesus, God in the flesh that dwelt amongst us, that died and rose again. And the worship of Jesus, it started in this Christmas story. It started with these magi, these outsiders that were hungry and they didn't have much information, but they knew that God had come to earth and the person that they previously thought was the King of Kings, the King of Persia was not the King anymore and they were willing to even lay aside the rights of their own life and risk their life at the hand of Herod by bowing down and worshipping a baby. I, want, I wonder this Christmas, will we just breathe? Will we say, I don't want to get caught up in playing a game of performing, of consuming. I want this Christmas, I want to receive what God has done in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And I want to just accept and thank him for what he's done. I want... The fact that peace has come to earth in Jesus, I want that to flood my heart. And I want that to be replicated in my relationships. I want the generosity of the Christmas story to permeate out of my speech. I want the generosity of a God that is given so freely and so vulnerably. I want that generosity to be replicated in my marriage, in my parenting, in my relationships at work. Will you just open your hands? You know, the Magi in this story, they seek with their heart. Will you just say, God, I seek you. I want to know you. I need you. I don't want to be complacent. I know the scriptures. I know your presence. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I don't want to just stay still. I want to move towards that shining star. I don't want to just hear your word. I want to move towards it. For some of us, there's our thinking in our minds. We need to, there's a next step from the scriptures. Just like the Magi, they had a next step that they were to go to Bethlehem. They were not content just to stay in Jerusalem. That this year as we're about to move into a new year, that as you're in God's presence, he's going to gently lead you to a next step to following him. And in all this, 
It's not about performing. It's not about doing. It's about bowing down and saying, Jesus, thank you that you've come. And my life is different. The only action that you can do at Christmas that's sufficient is surrender. Giving up self-sufficiency. Herod was self-sufficient. He wanted to control his power. The religious leaders were self-sufficient. They wanted to maintain the status quo. God wants to break into your life in unexpected ways, just like Jesus broke into the world in 2,000 years ago. He is a king of peace. He has come to bring life. He has come to bring hope. Let's just... Father, we receive you. We receive your love and we receive your presence. We thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to show us not just your love, but to show us your character, to show us your heart, to show us your face. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's here right now. We don't want to promise everything that we're going to do for you. We want to receive from you for what you've done for us and we want to say thank you and we want to bow down and worship. May this Christmas, may the Christmas story influence the way we live our life. May the Christmas story influence the softness of our heart. May you give us a resilience in the midst of family tension to be agents of peace and love and reconciliation. Help us to be hungry, not for things and not for experiences, but for you. And in that hunger, you will meet our need. You will give us food and we will never be hungry. You will give us water and we will never be thirsty. Thank you, Lord.